Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host TK, a high school teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, Steve knew me longer, and Steve had a plan. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the episode. For episode two of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I will be sharing my take on my own here today, but do not fret, I have a slate of wonderful, exciting guests coming up for the remaining episodes of this series, and I did actually have an in-depth discussion about this episode with friends of the podcast Trey and Jude over at their show MCU Need to Know right away on Friday night after I watched this episode for the first two times. So if you don't already listen and subscribe to their show, MCU Need to Know, what are you even doing? Get over there, subscribe, follow them on social media, at MCU Need to Know. They are wonderful people. They have been guests on my show before. I have been guests on their show before. And again, I'll be going through some of my thoughts now that I've had a couple days to process the episode and reflect on that conversation. But if you want to hear my big takeaways the night of, please definitely check out their most recent episode. It came out on Monday, and I definitely think that if you enjoy what I do here at There Was an Idea, MCU Need to Know is another podcast that you will absolutely love. So that being said, my first reactions to episode two can be heard over at MCU Need to Know on that episode. But to summarize here, I found this episode to be a change of pace from episode one, which really seemed to take its time with its characters, set up Sam, set up Bucky independently, give us a glimpse into each of their lives. And in this episode, it really picked up the pace. The two characters are thrown together. It was fun. It was fast paced. There was a lot of humor in this episode, balanced with some very serious and reflective moments. The episode felt loaded with new information, new characters, but at the same time, at least to me personally, it didn't feel overloaded. And I think that so far, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier has maintained a really nice balance, a really nice balance of the quiet character moments and the fast-paced action that we know and love in the MCU. I spoke about the emerging theme of the show being legacy, and we really feel that legacy of not just Captain America and Steve Rogers in a huge way in episode two, but we also feel some of the legacy of the MCU itself. And with Trey and Jude over at MCU Need to Know, I spoke a little bit about that opening scene of this episode, starting similarly to episode one with a quiet contemplative moment for one of our characters, finding it very unexpected that the character who we start with here is John Walker. After the end of episode one, finding him to be uh, immediately unlikable, <laughs> a character who is uh, somebody who was stepping into the shoes of Captain America without proving that he is worthy to do so, especially for a Cap super fan like myself, especially to people like Sam, who was watching at the end of episode one and being really taken aback by this new person stepping into those shoes. And then this episode opens in this scene that asks us, that invites us to take our time 
with him, with John Walker, to humanize John Walker and to share this moment with him and some of his loved ones in which we can see that he is nervous about taking on this mantle of Captain America, in which he trades his army fatigues for the flashy Captain America outfit. He runs out onto the football field and he's stepping into this role. He's practicing the voice he's going to do. And as I spoke about with Trey and Jude, it reminds us of when we first got to know Steve Rogers stepping into the role of of Captain America. We hear that familiar song, The Star-Spangled Man with a Plan, and it sounds so great, played by the marching band here. We hear it over the Marvel title card, which really got me. And as I said over there, I was feeling kind of excited and nostalgic about this opening scene, even though... I was predisposed to not like John Walker. And as the episode progressed, I didn't like John Walker for the most part. But the fact that the episode opened this way was both unexpected and I think really effective for a viewer like myself in bringing up again that legacy, not just of Steve Rogers, but of the MCU with this familiar imagery and music. And there's more to this idea of legacy, of course, in this episode. Legacy is going to be our big overarching macro concept for this series. But in episode two of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, there was also an idea about heroes and heroism. So I want to dig into that a little bit more and talk about where we're seeing that come up in this episode and how it interconnects with this larger theme of legacy. Okay, so I talked a little bit already about how John Walker plays into this larger theme of legacy. I also want to say a few more words about his character and his arc in this episode related to this idea of what it means to be a hero. So my argument here is going to be that John Walker is set up to be a hero in this episode in much the same way our other heroes in the MCU are introduced, but that what we see in this episode is John not living up to what that means and that he so far is not proving himself to be a hero and my belief is that he is not going to go down the hero path in this series. So what I mean by he's set up to be a hero is again thinking back to that opening scene which I already spoke a little bit about but he specifically says everybody in the world expects me to be something and I don't want to fail them. I just want to do the job. These are the types of lines that we could picture somebody like Steve Rogers saying, and Steve Rogers has said similar things. So immediately, again, we're set up to like this character and to see him as something that is familiar to the characters that we know and love. He has his people in his corner, his girlfriend or wife or partner, whoever she may be, um, telling him, be yourself, they're going to love you, which is a little bit ironic, considering. And we have his friend, Lamar Hoskins, saying, this is the job. The star-spangled man. It's always been in the job description. The suit, it comes with expectations. So we, we see this pressure of the legacy on John Walker. And we get his resume through the Good Morning America bit. We hear that he has three medals of honor and that he most certainly can be considered a hero in terms of his career as a soldier. And he kind of defines to us the type of hero that he sees himself to be. Or, you know, he's he's playing into the humility of it all, but he defines for us what we're meant to see him as, as, as we get to know this character. He says, I'm not Tony Stark. I'm not Dr. Banner. I don't have flashy gadgets or super strength. What I do have is guts. So this is, this is an interesting part here because 
flashy gadgets and super strength are some of the things that we associate with our heroes, like Tony Stark and Bruce Banner, who John mentions here. But of course, we also know in the MCU that that while these are conditions of what it means to be a hero, sometimes they are not necessary or sufficient to be a hero. Just because you have those things doesn't mean you're a hero. If you don't have them, doesn't mean you're not a hero. So we can see here again that John Walker's image is being very much crafted in the mold of Steve Rogers-esque heroism. He has the guts. He says here that he models his work off of Steve. Steve feels like a brother, and I rolled my eyes just as hard as I imagined Bucky was when Bucky was watching that scene, because as I've mentioned many times before on the podcast, I am a huge Steve Rogers fan. But I'll make it clear that I wasn't looking for reasons to hate John Walker. But as I talked about with Trey over at MCU Need to Know, another Captain America superfan, what feels off here in this interview, what feels off about John Walker throughout this episode, is that while he is saying some of the right things, some of the types of things that we could hear Steve saying, he is clearly, as Trey put it, playing a role. This is the image that has been crafted for him, and it doesn't feel authentic. I mentioned this over there too. There's something just familiar enough about the imagery, about the words, about everything that goes along with John Walker, but there's something that's not right. And it gives me that uncanny valley type of feeling. Now, I mentioned Bucky, and as I said on MCU Need to Know, I've never related to Bucky more than in this episode. Steve knew me longer, and Steve had a plan. And as a viewer here too, I'm feeling like, hey, who is this imposter John Walker trying to walk in the shoes of Steve Rogers, who I've known a lot longer and who I have all the respect for, and who does this guy think he is? And Bucky says to John later in this episode, just because you carry that shield doesn't mean you're Captain America. We talked about the symbol of the shield last week and how it carries all of the legacy of what it means to be Captain America. And Sam tells us last week just how much that legacy is intertwined with who Steve Rogers was as a person. And now we're having Bucky here saying, just because you have the symbol doesn't mean that you're a hero. There is something more to being a hero and to being worthy. John says, I've done the work, okay? Almost as if he protests too much, that he's trying to prove to us that he deserves to be here. And it's not that he doesn't have an impressive resume. It's not that he wasn't a great soldier, but he's yet to prove himself as a hero. Bucky asks if he's jumped on grenades, and he tells us that he has, but then he goes on to talk a little bit about his reinforced helmet and this and that, and it's almost a little bit charming, but at the same time, it's like he, this dude misses the point. Steve didn't need a reinforced helmet to jump on any grenades. Steve wouldn't refer to himself as kind of the government and talk about hacking into Red Wing and violating people's privacy. Steve thought everything through. Steve did not blindly follow orders. We learn this about him in Captain America the Winter Soldier, and John Walker here very much seems like he is doing whatever it's going to take to play this role. Steve was never playing a role. Now, lest I sound like I'm being too hard on John Walker here, just because I'm making the argument that he is that he is not worthy, that he is not fit to be a Captain America level hero, doesn't mean that he's entirely an awful person. We haven't seen that yet either. I almost feel for him a little bit again when he says to Sam, when they're in the back of the truck, he says, I'm not trying to be Steve. I'm not trying to replace Steve. I'm just trying to be the best Captain America I can be. But as Sam says, he always messes it up with that last line. He says, it'd be a whole lot easier if I had Cap's wingman on my side. And at first I thought that he was saying wingman, referring to Sam, but I watched it again with the subtitles on and it says plural wingmen. 
So he's referring to Sam and Bucky here. And this is just where he ruins it. He Again, it's like it will help him play his role. It'll round out his image if he has Sam and Bucky at his side. And it just feels so inauthentic and so insensitive to everything that Sam and Bucky have been through. And speaking of insensitivity, the audacity of this guy to use the police officer's car's siren to get Sam and Bucky's attention when they're leaving the therapy session. One of these dudes, Sam, was just unfairly racially profiled by law enforcement officers in a previous scene. The other one, Bucky, was just arrested for missing his therapy. So for him to pull that move to get their attention is really just ignorant and rude. Now, again, not trying to completely come down super hard on John Walker here. Let me say that I really like the way this episode set up this character. I really like that they are presenting him as a real human. They succeeded with that in the opening scene here, that he's not this mustache twirling villain, but that he is somebody who highlights the heroic qualities of Steve Rogers, of Sam and Bucky, because he lacks those same qualities. And he's a really interesting character to look at if we're trying to come up with some thesis on what makes a hero in the MCU. Now, continuing this train of thought on heroes and legacy, we have to talk about Isaiah Bradley. I don't think it's any coincidence that we meet Isaiah in the same episode that we get to know John Walker, because again, John Walker is the foil to the people who we consider to be our heroes. And we don't know Isaiah well yet, but he certainly is introduced here as someone who was a hero and someone whose legacy was decided for him, not by himself, in an unfair way. When Bucky introduces Isaiah to Sam, Bucky says, he was a hero, one of the ones Hydra feared the most, like Steve. So here's Bucky, who who we know um, has such a connection to Steve. Steve's the only person that he's really trusted. Steve was his best friend. He clearly has nothing but respect and admiration for Steve and who has all of this anger directed at John Walker, putting Isaiah on the same level as Steve. So we know that means something. Now we see that Isaiah is living in this small house in this community in Baltimore. It clearly looks like he doesn't have a lot of worldly possessions and he doesn't want to see anybody at first. He agrees to see Bucky because they had a history in Korea. Bucky tells him, I'm not a killer anymore. And this is where Isaiah says a really important line. You think you can wake up one day and decide who you want to be. It doesn't work like that. Well, maybe it does for folks like you. This is a line that I also anticipate coming back to you in thinking about the ideas of heroes and legacy and identity in the MCU. None of our heroes have been able to really wake up one day and decide who they want to be. Being a hero comes with certain expectations. Many of our heroes in the MCU didn't get their superpowers by choice, and it's been the choices that they've made afterward that have defined who they are. Bucky didn't have much choice in the matter when he was used by Hydra to be a master assassin, but he has been able to make choices to define who he wants to be now after the fact. What's different for Isaiah, that ability to make choices was taken from him. Unlike Bucky, who was pardoned by the United States government, rightfully so, because he did not choose to kill the people that he did, but Isaiah was not treated the same way. 
When Bucky says there's more like you and me out there, Isaiah scoffs at him and says, you and me, you know what they did to me for being a hero? And talks about being put in jail for 30 years, having tests run on him, being completely violated. And uh, even your people weren't done with me talking about Hydra. So what we're getting here is something new to the MCU, which is this idea that not all heroes have necessarily been treated equally, and that some heroes haven't had the legacy follow them, haven't been celebrated, and in fact, were treated pretty awfully behind closed doors. With this experimentation, Isaiah was exploited and used. And I'm thinking again about last week's scene in the Smithsonian Museum, the idea of this commemoration of Steve Rogers as Captain America, as this hero, this idea of museums as these places to remember heroes. There's no exhibit for Isaiah. He got the opposite here. And I think it's really, again, important that we're seeing this character introduced in this episode, in this show. I think that it's clear that the MCU is acknowledging the very real history of exploitation of Black American soldiers, of the lack of legacy and memory that has been afforded to Black heroes in American history. Um, if you don't know and you're curious to read more about a tragic chapter in our own country's history, the Tuskegee experiment, I would certainly recommend looking into that a little bit. And I think that the MCU here is intentionally drawing our attention to this type of injustice. When Sam and Bucky leave his house, Sam says, why didn't you tell me about Isaiah? How could nobody bring him up? And Sam is rightfully angry that this man's legacy has been ignored, that he hasn't heard of this guy. It reminds me sometimes of my own students who find out about figures in American history who were maybe Americans of color or members of other historically underrepresented groups and and who don't necessarily get the same emphasis in course study on history or don't necessarily have the memorials and the commemoration and or that feeling of being shocked to hear about the way that people in certain groups have been abused or exploited. It's notable that Sam specifically says that there was a black super soldier and for Sam, you know, as a black hero here, and it's drawn attention to you in the scene previous to this when the little boy calls him Black Falcon, you know, his his race is something that he certainly feels is linked to the way people view him and to how people view his heroism. So understandably, Sam feels a little bit blindsided here, and I'm really interested to see where this goes next, if there will be more scenes between Sam and Isaiah. All right, so we've talked about John Walker, we've talked about Isaiah. Let's talk about the Flag Smashers. In episode one, we learned about this group. We learned, in vague terms, we learned their MO, which is described by Torres as trying to return the world to more what it was like during the blip. And from that first episode, we already are set up to, yes, see this group as antagonists, villains, but Torres even says, and Sam agrees, that it, some of what their goals are uh, sound relatable. The line Torres uses in episode one is, you, you could see why people would be into that right now. And in this episode, we actually, we actually see some evidence of how people are into that. 
So first we see in this episode that Sam and Bucky make the assumption that the Flag Smashers are smuggling weapons, and then we find out that they are actually smuggling medical equipment, and specifically vaccines. Which, again, okay, maybe there's more to this group than your traditional villains who are doing straight-up villainy things. We see a scene somewhere in Eastern Europe in which the Flag Smashers, led by Carly Morgenthau, who we now have a name for. They uh, use a secret whistle and are offered a place to stay, food, a warm welcome, etc. And the man who's greeting them says a few key things here. He says, anything we can do for the cause, you are becoming a bit of a legend. He refers to them as freedom fighters, says that people are calling them Robin Hood, and says, you'll find refuge wherever you go. So we're seeing just how much this group's actions are actually being embraced and revered by some people at this moment. I'm thinking about what Sam says in episode one, things get better for one group, they get worse for someone else. So here we're kind of seeing the people who perhaps things have been worse for them since the blip. And so they're turning to their own version of heroes. They're referring to it as a cause. They're referring to this legendary status that Carly and the Flag Smashers are building up their own legacy and using this intentional language of freedom fighters and Robin Hood that are more positively loaded words, as opposed to some of the language that John Walker uses to describe them. In this episode, we get to hear a little bit more about the Flag Smashers' goals, specifically from their own voices here. We have Carly saying, we can't let the same assholes who were put back in power after the blip win. She says that the Global Repatriation Council cares more about people who came back than those who never left. During the blip, they got a glimpse of what could be. And we hear the call and response that the group uses, one world, one people. So this certainly serves to humanize this group a bit more. We have faces and names now, not just masks. We see that they have a conception of their work and their goals as something akin to heroic, though they don't use that language. We certainly see that other people see them as being heroic. And even as an audience member, it's hard to root against people who are delivering supplies to people who are in need around the world. Now, of course, as we progress throughout the next few episodes, I'm expecting to not view this group as clear-cut good either. Just because they are not set up to be clear-cut bad doesn't mean that it's a case of black and white here. I think this show is very much playing in the gray area. Thinking about it, we have a gray area hero in Bucky, right? We can call Bucky a hero because of the actions that he took post-Civil War to make the choice to go back under so that he didn't accidentally get reactivated and hurt anyone again. And then, of course, he plays a role in the important battle against Thanos in Infinity War and Endgame. So all that to say, I don't think Bucky considers himself to be a hero. I think the show is going to explore more about his relationship to the legacy of the Winter Soldier and what that means for Bucky Barnes. But all this to say, we have this gray area hero in Bucky. We have this John Walker character who is certainly playing in this liminal space as well. And we have the Flag Smashers. And then we have Sam, who, if there's any person who seems to be more of the clear-cut Steve Rogers legacy hero, it would be Sam, and he's choosing not to step into that role. So it's really interesting how the show is playing with that. 
Coming up next, we have Zemo getting back into the mix, someone who in the past we've considered a villain and antagonist, and it seems like he's going to be working alongside our protagonists of this show. So I really do appreciate what this show is doing in terms of in terms of complicating our traditional sense of good versus bad. And I am looking forward to what that means for the future of the MCU as well. So I have to spend a couple of minutes talking about the scene in which all of the tension between Sam and Bucky comes to a head, which is the quote-unquote couples therapy scene. Earlier in the episode, we have Bucky confronting Sam and saying, why did you give up that shield? We have Sam telling Bucky that he can't just show up in his quote, overextended life and tell Sam about his rights when when Bucky had said that Sam didn't have a right to give up the shield. So we're getting tension between these two characters that is both played for humor and also very real. These characters would not realistically quickly become the best of friends here. So I think it's good that the show is taking its time with that relationship. The therapy scene definitely plays into the humor of it as well with the whole freaky magoo thing and the miracle question and the soul gazing exercise and linking their legs together and all that. And it's funny and it's cute. But this is also where the emotional tension comes to the surface a bit more. Bucky just straight up asks Sam, why did you give up the shield? Sam tells him it has nothing to do with you. And we do see that Bucky is taking it very personally. He says, Steve gave you that shield for a reason. That shield is everything he stood for. That is his legacy. You threw it away like it was nothing. And he then says, if he was wrong about you, then he was wrong about me. And his voice breaks, and he's clearly very emotional here. This is Bucky opening up in a way that we haven't seen him open up before. So it is clear that Bucky has been approaching this from a selfish perspective, but I don't mean that in a bad way. He is not necessarily thinking about what Sam's personal reasons for not taking on the mantle would be, but he is thinking more about how Sam's decision reflects on him, on Bucky. I think that's understandable, given where Bucky is at and what he's been through. But I do also hope that what follows in the conversation helps Bucky take a step back and consider that it's not about him and that Sam does have his own valid reasons. I think this also speaks to Bucky's complicated relationship with his own legacy and with and with his own history. It's Steve who, in Civil War, assures Bucky that those actions taken by the Winter Soldier weren't really him, that he didn't have a choice. Steve seems to be the only person who Bucky has really trusted. And so the line, if he was wrong about you, then he was wrong about me, is really powerful here. And just as important is Sam's response. Sam says, maybe this is something you or Steve will never understand, but can you accept that I did what I thought was right? Here we see that Sam, while he's still reluctant to fully open up and share his reasoning, we see further evidence of what makes him a hero, what makes him similar to Steve. He did what he thought was right. He thought it through which is something that Steve always did. He was intentional. He looked at things from different angles. Sam did the same thing. And ultimately, he chose to do what he believed was right. I am looking forward to hearing more about exactly why Sam believed that this was the right thing to do. I think the show is setting it up in subtle ways that we're seeing some of Sam's mindset related to heroism and legacy 
and what that means for him. Getting Isaiah Bradley in this episode, I think, opens up more of that conversation. But I do think when they leave the police precinct and Bucky says, I feel awful, I think he really does feel awful, not just for himself, but for Sam here. And I think these two characters who, while they clearly aren't getting along so far, they work well together professionally speaking, I I think soon we are going to see them reach more of a common ground personally as well and emotionally as well. And that brings me to some questions and thoughts moving into next week's episode. So I spoke about this a little bit with Trey and Jude at MCU Need to Know on the episode that we did together for this episode of the show. And I do think it's a possibility that it was John Walker texting Carly Morgenthau in the scene that we see her receiving the text from the unknown number that say, you took what was mine. Now, if that doesn't come to pass, that it's John Walker himself texting her her and uh, referring specifically to the fact that the Flag Smashers took super soldier serum intended for him, I think that it is very possible that we will still be seeing John Walker pursuing super soldier serum in some way or another. And as I said over there, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him take Super Soldier Serum and it bring out some of the more negative qualities that he has inside of him. It seems like Bucky and Sam are going to create an alliance with Zemo that will probably involve them getting him out of jail, at least temporarily. And I'm very interested to hear Zemo's take on the Flag Smashers. And finally, I think this is going to be the episode in which we get Sharon Carter back because it is episode three and she has been heavily advertised in the marketing materials. So I have to imagine that she's going to play an important role in the remaining four episodes of the show. If you enjoyed this reflection on episode two of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow at Pender Illustrations on Instagram. Music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in each Thursday to hear me, and usually my guest of the week, tackle the big ideas of the latest episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs>